Uh, this morning we are continuing our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which comes from Galatians chapter 5. And this morning we have the privilege of hearing from our children's pastor, Will Washburn. And Will's passage of focus will be Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7. And I would love for you to follow along as I read that with you now. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word, as well as on the screen behind me. And this is at the top of your message map that hopefully you received on your way in. Again, this is Psalm 37. We'll begin in verse 3 and read through 7. It says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that, that you have chosen to communicate with us through it, that we might know you and, and know something about ourselves and that we might live the way that you'd like for us to live. And Father, I thank you for Pastor Will, and for his giftings and for his heart. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would communicate through him, that you'd be very much with him as he serves you this morning as a vehicle for your truth. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be with us as well, that we might have ears to hear and that we would be encouraged that, that in the midst of a busy life and a busy schedule and hurrying in and out, that we might pause here and be still and sit before you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> I'm very glad to be here. I was asked a couple weeks ago to fill in uh, this week to preach, and whenever I'm given this opportunity, I'm always incredibly thankful and excited to do so. Um, and then I was told I'd be preaching on patience, and I was a little less excited and a little less thankful. And I'm not saying that it's intentional, but it is convenient that Pastor Kevin is out of town on the week that we go through patience in this study. Um, now, I am actually very excited to talk about patience today and how we can become more patient and why God calls us to be patient. We all know deep down that we need patience, right? We don't like the people that we are when we are impatient. The things that we say, the things that we do when we've acted out of impulse and let impatience get the better of us. We'd all like to be people who are characterized by our patience. We want to be patient, but at the same time, we don't want to have to be patient, right? We don't want to have to gain patience through practice of being patient. And so when we face it, we don't really like the idea of waiting. We don't like suffering. And if we have to suffer or we have to wait, we pray that both of those things are brief. We sum this up with a phrase, right? Don't pray for patience. And that idea shows us that it's a valuable virtue, but not valuable enough that you would pray for it because then you might actually have to exhibit it. So there's this weird thing with patience where it's incredibly desirable to us and at the same time also very undesirable because we have to put it into practice. 
So let's dive into what patience is. If you've read the chapter in the book study, The Me I'm Designed to Be, you'll see that Pastor Kevin explains that in the New Testament, the one word that is often translated to patience is actually two Greek words. And the first of those Greek words is hupomone, which relates more closely to endurance or perseverance, to withstanding a trial or being patient through suffering. The second word that's used in the Greek is makrothumia. And this is the word that is actually used in Galatians 5. And what this word means, it's two parts, right? Macro and thumia. Macro means long, and thumia means temper or spirit. So the idea behind that is being long-tempered, holding your temper, long-suffering. That is the kind of patience you need for tasks and interacting with other people. Now, both of those words highlight part of the reason that we have this love-hate relationship with patience. Because we'd love for other people to be patient with us, but none of us like that long part of waiting or that suffering part with pain. We don't enjoy those things. So much so that as a society and a culture, we work tirelessly to get rid of waiting times and to alleviate any type of suffering, right? We come up with systems and tools and apps and invention, and Chick-fil-A opens seven lines at lunchtime all so that we don't have to wait. And we still have to wait, right? Because there is a professor of psychology, Dr. Sarah Schnitker. She's a professor at Baylor University. And she studies virtues like generosity, gratitude, and patience. And what she notes is that though we may try to come up with processes, tools, inventions to alleviate waiting, alleviate suffering, those things are part of the human experience. We can't escape them. That we are going to, at some point in time, have to wait. We are going to, at some point in time, have to suffer and feel pain. We can't escape them. And what she also notes is that some of the most beautiful things in life come from waiting and suffering. And so, yes, uh, suffering and waiting is a very real part of the human experience. So patience is a very real necessity. So today we're going to look at what patience is. We're going to look at what causes us to be impatient and then how God can and will strengthen us and help patients to grow within us through the working of the Spirit. So let's dive right in and let's start talking about patients. And I'm going to break them down into three categories, okay? And you'll find this on your message map. The first is daily task patience. All right, we're going to go through, I'm going to list all these and then we'll talk about what each one is. The first is daily task patience. The second is interpersonal patience. And then the third one is life hardship patience, okay? So let's break those down. Let's talk about what each of those are. Daily task could also be known as hassle patience. This is the patience that is required when you are stuck in traffic, when your quick run in and out to Walmart takes 45 minutes because there's one self-checkout open and the lady in front of you is getting groceries for a family of 12 for the next three months. And you just have to wait. There's no way around it. That is daily task patience. And so for that type of patience, it may be more temporary. It may not be severe. But nonetheless, it can bring out the ugliest and most sinful qualities of ourselves. Though they may be temporary or minor, they can reveal the posture of our heart and our sinful nature in major, major ways. The next is interpersonal. Interpersonal is the patience that is required with interacting with others. It is sinners interacting with sinners, right? This is the type of patience that's required when every time that coworker opens their mouth, you are one step closer to updating your LinkedIn profile and printing out your resume. 
This is the kind of patience that's required when it's bedtime and your three-year-old and four-year-old daughters, you're trying to get them dressed, they're slathered down with lotion and they keep backing up and you say, come here 16 times and then they're wrestling and then they're crying because they're cold and you're trying to put their clothes on and they want to do it themselves, but if you help them, that's wrong and then their head is in an armhole and that's wrong and everybody wants to cry by the end of it. I wouldn't know about that patience, I'm only guessing. <sighs> but we all need that kind of patience, right? because we are sinners dealing with sinners. And so we need to be patient with one another. Now the last one is different than the first two, and it may possibly be the hardest, and that's life hardship patience. That is the indefinite waiting, extended period of suffering. And that can play out as physical suffering, that can play out in emotional suffering, but it is waiting for something to happen, waiting for relief to come, waiting for the prayer that you have prayed to be answered the job that you want, the spouse you have hoped for, the child you have prayed for that is yet to come. It's the endurance and the patience that needed when a loved one is suffering and there's nothing that you can do about it. When you are walking through a diagnosis that isn't good or a chronic illness, it is when uncertainty is right before you and you don't know when or if things will let up. That is life hardship patience. And so the first two are closely related in the sense that they're more brief in nature. However, they both require us to be patient through the working of the Holy Spirit. And we're encouraged in God's word to be patient in those situations. In Proverbs 15, 18, it says this, Hot heads stir up conflict, but patient people calm down strife. That's Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 14, 29 says this, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. We're also encouraged to have patience when we interact with one another. Ephesians 4.2 says this, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And James 1.19 tells us this, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So yes, there are three different types of patience, but they're very similar in many ways. And they're similar in the way that we that they affect us. They're similar in the way that we react to them. And most importantly, they're similar in how God can and will strengthen us with spiritual patience for all three. So those are the types of patience. Let's talk briefly about why we become impatient. If we want to fight against impatience, we have to know what we're fighting against. And so in an article written by Psychology Today on impatience, the author article is that impatience comes when we have a goal in mind, we have a perceived cost of what it will take to get that goal, but then the actual cost is greater than the perceived cost. Okay, so what that means is this. I want to make a stop on the way home from work by the grocery store to pick up a, a birthday card and some cash and head to a birthday party. That's my goal. Grocery store, card, cash, to the party. The perceived cost for me is that I think the time that it will take to get there and the money that I want to spend on the card and take from, the, from uh, cash back at the register. That's the perceived cost. And if everything goes according to plan and I get what I want when I want it, I'm good, right? I head into the party, good to go. But as you know, nothing ever goes according to plan, right? So in this situation, I pull out of work and there's a wreck and uh, traffic has come to a complete stop. So then I have to reroute and on my new uh, path there, there's a railroad track and I get stopped by a train. So if I finally make it to the grocery store, but much later than I wanted to, and now it's the after work rush and everybody's trying to get that last minute thing they need to make dinner for that night. 
And then I grab my card, and now I am already running a little bit behind where I wanted to be. I'm standing in, card with an, uh, standing in line with an overpriced card, and my perceived cost is not what the actual cost was, right? And so I'm standing there waiting, and then, you know, you're in line. That foot starts tapping. You can feel yourself become impatient. And then the arms cross, and you can feel yourself become frustrated. And then you throw the card on a shelf, whatever shelf is close by, you leave with nothing in hand, and you're five minutes late to the birthday party. And you're in a very, very bad mood, right? Because you had a goal in mind, you had a perceived cost, but it actually cost you more than what you thought it would. This is a simple principle, but it plays out in major life situations as well. Look at marriage, an interpersonal relationship. You may have a perceived cost that this will always be easy. My spouse will always make me feel good. That's the goal, right? That we will love each other. We will make each other happy. But then the actual cost of loving sacrificially is more than your perceived cost. This can play out in life hardships as well. Maybe a chronic illness has made you put your goals and your dreams to the wayside, and you're becoming impatient with the circumstance, and you're becoming impatient with God. Maybe the actual emotional cost of worry and anxiety as you wait for a college decision, a job offer, news from a biopsy or a test is causing you to grow impatient. And so that goal, perceived cost, actual cost is helpful, but really at the root of it, the reason we grow impatient is because we are sinners. We are sinful people that want what we want when we want it, right? That is the heart of it. We want what we want when we want it, and we don't want to have to wait for it. So I'm saying all those things to say this. There are different types of patients. We grow impatient because of our desires, what we want, and our timeline. So how do we respond to that as Christ followers? What do we do with that? If you're like me, for years you probably just decided, I need to be more patient, so what am I going to do? I'm going to be more patient. And does that ever work? No, right? It may work for a second, and then something happens, and you lose your cool. See, the problem is that fruit doesn't grow by demanding it to grow. Fruit grows by being cultivated, tended to, nurtured, The fruit of patience is cultivated in the waiting. Fruit is not manufactured. It grows. The other problem for us, the other strike against us, is patience is not our natural default. We're not good at waiting. We don't like it. We are sinners, right? So patience doesn't come naturally. It takes a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit for it to grow in us. It's not natural to us, and it cannot be manufactured. Now, some of you may know this, but I was a theater major in college, which means I've worn a lot of silly things. I've been brutally scrutinized after pouring my heart out on the stage, and I have learned to grab your attention in the first three seconds of an audition. All things that prepared me beautifully for kids' ministry. It was was the Lord's hand on me even before I knew I'd be in this role. And so about 10 years ago, I am sitting in an acting one class as a freshman in college, And the Lord opened my eyes through that discussion and through that lecture on the fruit of the Spirit and how fruit grows within us. And that's an odd place to hear that. And we weren't even talking about anything theological or about God. We were talking about acting. But at that time in that season of my life, I was desperately wanting to exhibit and to feel the fruit of the Spirit. I was in a spiritually dry season. I lacked peace. I lacked joy. I lacked patience. And I wanted those things so desperately. And so what I did is I tried through my own power time and time again, will be more joyful, will be more patient, be more loving, be more peaceful. And it never worked. It never worked for me. 
And looking back, I can see it was because I had a problem with patients. Now, interpersonal patients I was okay with, daily task patients I could handle. It was that life hardship, that uncertainty of waiting that I really, really struggled with. There's a country song that says, I'm in a hurry and don't know why, and that was me in my early years of college. To paint this picture for you, I graduated high school in May of 2014, and I graduated college with a four-year degree, a BA in theater, and a minor in history in December of 2016. I was just zooming through life as fast as I could. And I don't say that to brag. Looking back, that was not wise. Don't, don't do that, college kids. It's not good. I missed out on a lot because I was just rushing, rushing, rushing. And looking back 10 years from that, why was I rushing? It was because the future was so uncertain. As a young adult, you don't know what your job will be. You wonder about who you will marry, where you will end up. And I did not like the feeling of uncertainty and the anxiety and worry that came along with it. So I said, I'm gonna rush ahead. And as much as I could, I rushed ahead, not waiting on the Spirit to lead me at all. I did not allow the Spirit to lead, and so therefore I was lacking the fruit of the Spirit. I was not walking in step with the Spirit. And so there I am in acting one as a freshman, and our professor is talking about acting. And he's talking about how good actors have the task of portraying a character that may be vastly different than they are. They're not acting as themselves, right, but acting as the character they're playing. And so how do they do that in a way that's natural? How do they do that in a way that seems realistic? You don't want it on stage, your emotion, your character to seem manufactured. So how do you play this character that's different from you? Well, he gave us a piece of advice. He says, the best actors prepare. And the way that they prepare, they do this in two ways. They know their character in and out. They figure out everything about that character that they can. They research, research, and then they research some more. They read the script time and time through. They study the playwright. If it's set in another country or time period, you research as much context as you can so that the things about that character, they become second nature. They become ingrained in you. And so when you go out to step out to be that character, you're not have to, thinking about, have to think about, what would my character do? You just do what your character would do. The second thing they do to prepare is they figure out what is that character's main goal? What is the thing that through the course of the play that this character is pursuing? Now you may be thinking to yourself, we didn't come here today for a lecture in acting, but I do have a point, I promise. As Christians, we are called to be like someone that is vastly different from us. We are called to be like Christ. We're called to be uh, holy as I am holy. So our task is to, in the moment, when we can feel our blood starting to boil, to act as Christ would, to react as Christ would. And so for us to do that as Christians, we have to do the preparation in advance. We have to know Christ and know him deeply. The second thing is our impatience comes when our goals are not being met. So we have to lay our goals to the side and look at what motivates Christ. What matters to God? What does he command us to do? We have to realign our goals with him. Now, this is not something that we muster up on our own, right? The Spirit must grow these things within us. Titus 3, 5, and 7 says this, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So see, in that text, it's not our doing, but it's the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit. However, there are things that we can do practically as Christ followers to allow the Spirit to grow, to help stay in step with the Spirit. And so the first point you'll find on your message map today is we are called as Christians 
to remain in Christ. And remaining in Christ will help us to allow the Spirit to grow patience within us. So just like an actor playing a character, our first step is to really know who we want to be like. We have to know Christ. Ephesians 5, 1, 1 and 2 tells us this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We are called to be like Christ. We are called to love others, show patience, and suffer as Christ did. We want to imitate him in our interactions. And simply put, you cannot interact or you can't imitate someone that you don't know, right? You have to know them to begin to do the things that they do. You have to watch them. It takes time. And the crazy thing is that when you really, really know someone, <clears throat> you start to act like them without even trying to. As I become a father, I see more and more every day my dad come out of me and the things that I do and the things that I say. I will open my mouth and Kim, <clears throat> Kim Washburn comes out. And uh, there's one thing in particular that I've noticed recently, recently that I do, that when I do it, I stop and think, wow, I am becoming my father. And my dad has a special talent of rewriting the lyrics to a well-known song in the moment for whatever situation is happening. It's like spot on. He's top 20 hit. He's rewriting some parody that he's come up with in the moment. And every now and again, I'll be bathing our daughters or getting them dressed for school or loading them in the car. And then some tune pops in my head and I start singing about Simri and Betty putting on their socks or whatever it is. And the craziest thing is it's not intentional. It just comes out of me. Why? Because I spent 21 years in the same house with my dad. Beyond that, I spend time with him. I enjoy spending time with him, right? I've put in the work, the time is there, and now it just naturally flows out of me. And the craziest thing is I can see the same things happening with my daughter, my daughters. I'll say something at the dinner table and I look over and see an expression on my wife's face and then I see it repeated two times on Simri and Betty. And then I really think it's three against one here. <clears throat> so if we want to grow in patience and we have to be more like Christ, why? Because Christ is the perfect picture of long-suffering and patience. We see in John 1 that it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Christ has been. He's eternal. But in Galatians 4.4, 4, it says that he waited, God waited till the time had fully come to send Jesus to be born of man. He waited through all of the Old Testament for the perfect time to come to live and do his ministry and die. And when he came, he didn't come in the clouds, sword ablazing. He came as a baby, right? And waited through each and every season of life until the time came for his ministry. And when his ministry came, what do we see Christ do? We tell his he tells his mother, my time has not come yet. When the crowds get too big, he pulls away until the proper time when he is ready to go to the cross and to die for us. And the cross is such a beautiful picture of long suffering that he would go and die in our place though we don't deserve it, because of his great love, that he would endure the humiliation and the pain and the death on the cross on our behalf. This is the character of God. This is our God. He is patient. Exodus 34, 6 says this, the Lord is compassionate, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And Isaiah 30, 18, it says this, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. See, every act of grace to us is God demonstrating his patience, not giving us what we deserve, being long-tempered, holding back his justice on our behalf. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting any of you to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, although we fail and we fall so often, he is waiting for us to turn back around, repent, and come back to him. It's the picture of the father waiting for the prodigal son to return. Do you know how the father could run to the son when he returned? It was because he was waiting and watching for him. He was patiently waiting for his son's return. So if we want to be more patient, we need to look to the perfect example of patience. That's Christ Jesus. And then we need to remain in him, spend time in him, with him. In the passage that Stephen read, Psalm 37, I love in verse 7, it tells us to be still, to pause and to remain. But what I love about that command is the location of it. Be still before the Lord. It's good for us to pause. It's good for us to be still. But that stillness needs to be with Christ, remaining in him, before him, so that he can begin to transform us and conform us into his image. We cannot imitate, we cannot conform, we cannot be like someone we don't know. So we must remain in Christ. The second thing, along with remaining in Christ, that we can do to actively stay in step with the Spirit and to grow in patience is to realign our focus. To realign our focus, realign our goals. As I said earlier, much impatience, much of the impatience in our life comes from not reaching a goal when we thought we would or when we wanted to. Not getting what we want when we want it. So one way that we can fight against this is to refocus, realign our goals. And the best thing that we can do as Christians is to realign our goals with what Christ commands of us. To put the things that we desire and align them up with the things that God desires. A great starting place for this in the process of realigning our focus is to look to Matthew 22, 37 through 40. This is the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love, the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, we have to reprioritize loving God as the most important thing in our life and properly align our focus to live out his commands more fully. And when we do that, some of those unmet goals, some of those things that we want begin to fall by the wayside as we begin to pick up and put in the proper place the things that God desires of us. Lindsay and I, we have a dear friend in our home team. And when we were doing this study and we we're talking through joy, she was sharing about a past cancer diagnosis. And she was explaining the waiting through treatment and the suffering and the pain of that really caused her to put everything else to the side, that she held on to the things that mattered most, that through that season of waiting, through that season of suffering, God helped her graciously to reprioritize what is important in her life. She spoke about how before that diagnosis that so many things would cause her anxiety, getting in the car, headed to work, that there was worry, there was this rushed hurriedness that she, did no, she no longer had after God walked with her through that cancer diagnosis, and she was able to reprioritize what really mattered most. So we are called to love God with everything that we are. We are called to love others um, as ourself. How different would each of our days be if we made the conscious choice at the start of the day that I'm going to love God with everything that I am, and then I'm going to love others as myself? Maybe the trial that you are currently walking through would remind you to focus your eyes on, on God and to love him more. Maybe the waiting that you are going through and struggling with would remind you that God's timing is perfect. Maybe the person that is in the cubicle beside you 
that you cannot stand is providentially placed beside you so that you can love them well and point them to Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, they're there to remind you that when you were most unlovable, Christ died for you. That when you were far from him an enemy of God, he loved you with everything that he had. I love Colossians 3, 12 through 14 that tells us, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the part I want you to take note of, verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I have an example of patience, someone in my life that is a, a good example of patience that I've always looked up to, and that is my older brother, Tarver. And I'm the youngest of three boys. There's Bo, Tarver, and then me. And Bo and I, we are really good at getting ahead of ourselves and rushing through life. But Tarver is built different. Tarver is slow and steady through and through. There's sometimes you want to kind of shake him and say, let's, let's get it going here, bud. Um, but he is patient through and through. And when I think of patience, I think of him. And there's a season of our life that especially illustrates how patient Tarver is. When I was in high school, my parents and I um, and Tarver, we all went to the same church with my two grandmothers. My grandmother Glenda lived with us in a mother-in-law suite, and my grandmother Betty lived very close by. And so my mom oftentimes was keeping the nursery. I was singing on the worship team at the time, and my dad was preaching. And so we all had to be at church early. Now, my parents and my uncles and aunts came to the collective decision that both grandmothers should and could not drive anymore, and so someone had to bring them to church, and that job fell on Tarver's shoulders. He was the grandma chauffeur. For about two and a half years, he did that faithfully, just about each and every Sunday. And now, I really want you to get the full picture here, okay? My grandmother Betty was a social butterfly, loved to talk, and in her older age, she was a widow. She lived by herself, and so Sunday was her time to shine. She got in the car, mouth going 90 to nothing, just let it out. And my grandmother Glenda, in her old age, could no longer hear very well. And so Grandma Betty is talking in the front seat, and Grandmother Glenda is like, what did you say, Betty? And so there's a lot of repetition as Tarver is driving them on the way to church. And when they get to church, his uh, practice of patience is not done, because then his job is unloading the grandmothers getting them out of the car, getting their large print Bibles, two in hand, their Sunday school material, a bag of loose hard candy, uh, a cane and a walker, and getting them out of the car. And then, and only then, begins the slow, and I mean slow, march into the building. (laughs) And I often on a Sunday where I stood, the double doors would be open, and I could see them coming into the foyer, Tarver with one grandmother on each arm, just slowly, slowly walking in. And it was beginning to like cause a physical reaction to me, like, come on, let's... (laughs) But Tarver's just there, he's walking through. And I always thought, if I had the temperament of Tarver, if I had Tarver's patience, and Tarver is incredibly patient, but beyond that, Tarver is incredibly loving, and he loves people well. He was so patient with my grandmothers because he had incredible love for them. He loved them enough to be their chauffeur, to be their bodyguard, to be the arm that they leaned on for years. And he loved the church. He knew that it was important for them to be a part of the local body each and every Sunday, to come and to hear God's word preached, to worship with fellow believers, to be in community. And so, yes, he was patient, but he loved well. And so that love uh, prompted him to be patient. It helped him to be patient. Corinthians, we see a description of what love is. And the first thing there is love is patient. 
Now, the last thing that I have today is something that we can do when we are in a period of waiting to help us to grow in patience. And that is to run after God and to rest in Him in the waiting. See, many people think that patience is a passive thing, that you just sit on your hand and let life happen to you. But throughout Scripture, we are given a command, an action step, and it is to wait upon the Lord. And that's not a passive thing. That's a very active thing that we do. See, the world has two responses to waiting. The first is I'm going to recklessly charge ahead, get what I want when I want. If it's not happening on my timeline, I'm going to make it happen. The second response is more of a, uh, well, I have no control. A who cares kind of apathy. I'm going to sit on my hands and let things happen to me. It's kind of just a passive, not doing anything. Patience is the perfect middle ground between the two. It is waiting on the Lord, but it is actively pursuing him as we wait. We must actively choose to be patient. And as we wait, we must continue to run after God with everything we have and at the same time find rest and assurance that he is in control of all things and that his timing is good and perfect. So as we begin to wrap up today, I want to read again Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7. It says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. See, in this, in this uh, passage here, we have four commands as we wait, all related to the Lord. Trust in the Lord, take delight in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord, and finally, be still before the Lord. So as we wait, we're not called to be passive people that just sit on our hands. We are called to live out these four commands. Okay? We're called to do these things that we're commanded here, to trust in, take delight in, commit your way to, and be still before. And these are action steps, but what I love about them is they're not things that we muster up through our own strength or power, but these are action steps of surrender and submission. To trust someone fully, we have to say, I trust that your way is better than my way, that I'm going to submit my way to you, surrender my way to you. To take delight in the Lord, we have to stop delighting in ourselves or trying to delight ourselves with other things. We have to lay down our own pride and glory, the things that we have used to satisfy us, lay them at his feet and say, I surrender them. I want to take delight in you. Then we have to commit our ways. That's the surrendering of our goals, our plans, saying that your way is better. It may not be the path that I would have taken, the way that, the, that I thought it would unfold, but I know that it is better because it is the Lord's way. And then finally, we have to submit our time. We have to be still before the Lord. You've heard it said that time is money. You've also heard it said in the word that where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A good indicator of the things that are causing you to become impatient is an indication of where your heart is. Take time to be still, pause before the Lord. That patience is that perfect middle ground, trusting him, but running after him in the meantime. In your waiting, know that God is working. Remain in him, pursue him, work to have the desires of your heart be in line with what God desires. And in the waiting, trust him and run after him. Be still before the eternal God of all things, who is in control of time itself. 
In a commentary, Charles Spurgeon, on a commentary on Psalm 37, Charles Spurgeon says this, Time is nothing to God. Let it be nothing to you. God is worth waiting for. Let me say that again. God is worth waiting for. God's timing, God's plan is worth waiting for. And the beautiful thing is that God is with you in the waiting. He is patient with you when you want to get ahead of him. As I close today, I'm gonna to read Psalm 33, 20 through 22. It's the bottom of your message map. It says this, wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you.